Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning for our GCC live stream. If this is your first time visiting with us this morning or tuning in, we just want to say welcome. We're honored to have you listening in. Uh, We're honored to have you gathering with us this morning in your homes um, from wherever you're at. And so thanks for joining us. Our church's mission statement is to make Jesus the hero. And that's what we have existed to do from the beginning. And that's what we exist to do today as well. Not just in the preaching and teaching, but in all of life. That is our aim. That is our goal. And that is our hope. And so if you're visiting, if you're new, or even if you've been a part of our church family community for a while, it's just a good reminder that what we need is we need an ultimate hero because our world is filled with pseudo heroes and we need the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, and for him to be supreme in all of our lives. And so with that, we're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, Since, I guess, I don't know for, for how long, but for a while, I've had this reoccurring dream. And the dream goes like this. I've, I've had this dream that I would uh, wake up on a Sunday morning or I would be getting ready to get in the pulpit on Sunday morning or people would be like, hey, you're up and you need to preach. And then I would have to jump up into the pulpit and preach, only I had not prepared anything for the sermon that I was getting ready to speak on. It was like I was shocked. I had no idea this was coming. And, and so I was going to have to, to now stand without any sort of preparation and deliver a sermon from the word. Here's the reality. I feel in four and a half years, I'm as closest to living out the reality of that reoccurring dream that I haven't ever before. This has been a heck of a week, just to, just to put it like that. Um, it's been a heck of a week for, for our church, um, for our church family with COVID going on, but with everything going on in light of the George Floyd um, incident and with everything going on in, in our culture right now. Um, there's, there's, there's just a lot. It's, it, it's, it, it's been a heavy week. Um, And there's been a lot going on. And so the very first thing that I want to do is what we see the disciples doing in Acts 4, is I just want to start us off this morning by prayer. Prayer is not a secondary response. It's not a JV response. It's not something we do as a backup plan. Our greatest gift in, in, in some regard is that as saints who have been given the gift of grace by God, to be called children of God, we can now talk to him and we can pray to him and to know that he hears us. And so what we're going to do this morning is that, is I'm going to lead us through a pastor's prayer right now through the Lord's prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to spend just a moment right now just in prayer Um, for our church, for our family, for people that are hurting and grieving, um, for the black community inside of GCC, for those outside in Lane County, for our city, for our nation, for our world, for all that's going on, the pain, the hurt, and beyond that into Africa that's losing crops from the locusts. There's so much going on in the world right now. It feels overwhelming, but we recognize this, that our prayer, the Lord's prayer, starts with our Father, a sovereign Lord. So let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, As we pray, we remember that we are united by the same Father. We remember that what unites us is having the same exact Father. We remember that we are called into a family and that we are not alone. We we remember the one who leads our family is you, Father, and you are good. We take time to also remember that at the core of who we are, we are children of our Father, and that's who we are above everything else. 
we remember that we did not earn our rights to call you Father, or for us to be called your children, but because of your love and grace, we come to you, our Father, as children approved and deeply loved. We recognize that you are in heaven, upon your throne in full control. We recognize that you are not just a good and loving Father, but a sovereign Father with full power, authority, and control over all things. We praise you that nothing shocks you, and not a single molecule or pebble is outside of your knowledge and control. You know all, you are in charge of all, and you are working all things for the good of those who love you. You've promised that in your word. We recognize that you are not shocked by what is happening in our world with COVID. We believe you see and know all that is happening in our culture with the minor, minority groups right now who feel angry, confused, fearful, and hurt. We declare, Father, you are holy, and since you are holy, you are just and a father of holy justice. We acknowledge that we can come to you and approach the throne of your grace and confidence that your son has made us just and holy in your sight by absorbing your righteous wrath that we deserve. We praise you for your holiness and justice and praise you that you don't let injustice slide. Nothing passes by our just father. Thank you. The evil and injustice in our world that is done through harming or hurting others. The evil that is done by murder and violence. The evil that is done by our acts of prejudice, acts of immorality, and acts of doing nothing for all the suffering in our world. We recognize that you are just. And either justice will come through the cross and what Christ has paid or through mankind paying for our actions. Our Father, your holiness and justice brings us comfort and peace. We declare our desire now for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. Dethrone kingdoms we have built. Dethrone the people or things we have made king and ultimately dethrone us from trying to reign as king. We desire for you to break into every area of our hearts and lives to reign. We desire for you to permeate through every area of our body, of our church body, through the church here in GCC, but through the church at large where people get a glimpse of your heavenly kingdom. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, where the poor and the wealthier one, where people of different political beliefs eat together because we are united by the head of the table, our Lord Jesus Christ, where Caucasians, African Americans, Asians, Canadians, and people of all different race and color are one united by blood, your blood that has cleansed us, covered us, and made us one in you. Let your kingdom come this way now on earth as it is in heaven. Let your work on the cross unite your people and propel us to share of the great king who came not to just declare rights that he has, but in fact to lay down your rights that you have as king and sacrifice your life and to serve. Let your kingdom come by you being exalted, Jesus, as supreme because you are, and we say, come, Lord, and bring heaven to earth because we rejoice in your kingdom that will last for eternity where there will be no more pain or suffering. Give us today our daily bread. Our Father, we recognize there are people in our community who are struggling financially right now. And there are people who are wondering how they'll provide for their families. Thank you for your common grace extended to the whole nation by providing a stimulus check. Thank you for your common grace that is seen in so many area, areas of our life, Father. Thank you for the common grace of your sunshine. Please continue to provide for our families' needs, but also for those in Africa who are suffering the loss of their crops and will struggle to provide for their families. As part of your provision, Father, please provide comfort and care for the minorities in our country who are hurting, grieving, angry, or frustrated. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have 
a great high priest who can sympathize with all of our pain, all of our hurt, all of our frustration because you have stepped into humanity. Provide through your provision comfort to the family and friends of George Floyd as they grieve their loss. Provide peace for the city of Minneapolis. Father, we praise you in Christ that you have provided your great provision. You have provided salvation and have saved us since we are incapable of saving ourselves. You have provided righteousness and purity and forgiveness and freedom through Christ, Jesus our Lord. Lord, you are the only bread that can satisfy our greatest hunger and carry us into eternity. Father, give our law enforcement officials your provision of protection to do their jobs with integrity and to do their jobs with courage, recognizing that we need them and our community needs them to keep our community safe. So we thank you for them and ask for your provision of safety over them today during the protest here in Eugene. We pray for your provision and safety over the protest, that it would be peaceful and that's what it would reflect. We pray for your provision of safety for the businesses in our community right now and across our country as a whole. Our Father, please forgive us our sins we have committed against you. Forgive us for not seeing our sin and the way that it impacts the whole family and for seeing our sin as only individual. Forgive us for not being quick to forgive others for the ways they have wronged us by forgetting how great our sins are against you. Forgive us for our slander, for our gossip, and for the way we elevate ourselves before others so we can be praised in worship. Forgive us for not striving for unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ and for holding back grace and mercy and forgiveness. Forgive us for the bitterness that seems to be spreading in our hearts right now and forgive us for the judgment we have cast on others by elevating ourselves as people more worthy, holy, just, and people who are forgetting your grace. Forgive us daily, moment by moment, for bowing down to other gods and giving our worship to other people and things that only you are worthy of. Forgive us for being quick to speak and not slow to listen. Forgive us for speaking when we need to listen. And forgive us, Father, for we are people who are in desperate need of your grace. Finally, Lead us not into temptation. The temptation to think that something other than the righteousness of Christ is gaining us your approval. The temptation of thinking we are always right and everyone else is wrong. The temptation to not offer the kind of mercy, grace, and forgiveness you have extended to us in Jesus. The temptation to not believe the truths of the gospel and who we are in Christ. Our Father, deliver us from all evil. Deliver us from the lies and attacks of the enemy. Deliver us from the evil that is in our hearts and from the evil that comes from others. In Jesus' name, amen. In light of everything that's going on in our country, there's been question after question that's been raised. There's been uh, uh, GC leaders that are asking questions, D&D leaders that are asking questions. And so um, through, through prayer and through counsel, believe this is the best way to move forward for Gospel Community Church. So if, if you're listening, you're a part of the GCC family, here's what we're going to do. We are going to do a, uh, uh, a series uh, in two weeks from today. We're going to start it. Uh, on uh, race, culture, and reconciliation. Because here's the reality. A lot of people are asking questions. A lot of people have difference of opinions. And to be honest, it is staggering to me, staggering to me, the amount of 20 and 30-year-olds, just I'm throwing myself in that category too, who have opinions on everything and how everything should be done and how's the right way to handle stuff. When some of the smartest people that I know have the humility to say that they don't know, that they're students, that they're learning. And I think that's a humble approach for us to take. And I think that is the approach that we should actually take. And what we need to do is actually teach on this. And so what we need to do is understand that our ultimate authority is God's word. So what we will do for a series is not look at 
um, uh, anything other than our ultimate authority as God's word and how God's word addresses these things? How do we handle these topics and engage in these topics and to discuss these topics while keeping Jesus supreme, the gospel the main thing, and not social justice. I think those are real things that we need to learn how to do and to engage with, and, and people want to see how the gospel shapes these social issues, but how we also keep Jesus as supreme and the main thing and stay centered on the gospel. And so the best way for us to do that, to answer questions and to look at this, and is to actually do a series on this. And so I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to dive into it with our church and even have discussions as we dive into this. And so know that's what's coming, and that's what we're going to be doing. Um, and I hope that it'll be a blessing for all parties and, and, and for everyone to get to engage in this. But I would say this at, at, before we jump into today's sermon, is please remember what Paul says. Again, I, I will make a commitment to stand in the pulpit and deliver the word as our ultimate authority. Not my opinions and not anything else, but the word of God. And the word of God is clear. Paul says this, we do not wrestle, Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's humanity. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers is over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I would plead with you, if you are a Christian, and, and, and you are one who's been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ to remember that your fight right now is not against flesh and blood and against humanity. There's an enemy who is convincing you that that's where you should direct all of your attention and all of your fight. But in reality, the fight is against the enemy, an enemy that's already been conquered through Christ and through his blood and through what he's purchased for us. But that is where the fight is. We need to be people that engage with humility. We need to be people that engage with the gospel at the center. And we need to be people that engage with a lot of grace. And I think that's a clear sign if we are engaging well is if we are growing in tenderness, grace, mercy, and compassion. And so to the last thing I'll say on this, from, from an author and from a theologian I deeply love and respect, Brennan Manning says this, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is an illusion. I'll say it again. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. So define yourself not by Republican, not by Democrat, not by everything else that our culture does. Define yourself as someone who's radically loved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is an illusion. So um, extend grace toward me today. Extend grace toward our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ today and extend grace towards one another as we engage in this just crazy season and time that we find ourselves in today. So with that, let's turn to the word of God um, and we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. So I go from one, one uh, very sensitive subject and difficult subject to even talk about into another one, which is divorce, which is not the kind of passage you turn to and just leap with joy to preach on, but we understand this, that it would be easy to avoid difficult subjects in the word, and it would be much easier to just do topical sermons all the time where we can preach on stuff that just makes us feel giddy. We're not going to do that. That is not our commitment. We're going to preach the full counsel of God's word, and so we're going to continue to do that today in our series titled Saints and Society. First Corinthians chapter 7. Very difficult passage, even difficult to understand what is going on in Paul's context and with his audience there, but also what are the implications of this today and, and what are the implications of it for us? I want to say this, that the main point of this sermon is this, which I think it, it goes hand in hand with where we find ourselves today right now, is don't fall away from grace, but fall into grace. 
Let me say that again. Main point. Don't fall away from grace, but instead fall into grace. So that is very purposeful, and, and I'll unpack that as we go. But let's first read this passage and then dive into it. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Father, help us. To submit to your word is the authority in our lives. Not to submit to your word in the areas that we like. But if there's an area where your word disagrees with us, I pray that we would know it's because we are not God and you are. Let your word and let us allow your word to cut us, to convict us. Break down, Father, where we have created the kind of God we want you to be, that we try to make you to be, and instead raise up in our hearts and our lives the God who you are, true and accurate as your word reveals, and let us fall in full submission into your grace and into the authority of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to move rather quickly in light of the amount of time that, that we have, and so just know that um, this will be not be exhaustive in any sort of way, um, but it'll at least give you an idea of what's going on in the passage and what Paul is, is addressing. So uh, verse 10 says, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, is Paul is saying this, this is, uh, goes explicitly with, with Christ's teaching that we see on marriage. And so when, when, when Christ teaches on marriage in Matthew 19, we see that Paul is taking that and saying, this is exactly the authority of Christ. Um, this is exactly what he was talking about in regard to marriage and in regard to divorce. Though, and, and then he goes on to say, the wife should not separate from her husband. And then we have this parenthetical right here. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And then the husband should not divorce his wife. So if you read this in the ESV or in the NASB, then what you'll notice is that there's this clear distinction between the word separation and divorce. And also what you'll see is it's also purposeful that Paul in this setting now puts women before men. And so before he put men before women when addressing the uh, matters of conjugal rights and sex inside of what was going on in Corinth, but now what he actually does is he puts women in front of men. Why? Why is Paul saying this? Why does this follow up it, with the context of what, 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 uh, what we just preached on with sex and with singleness? Here, here's the reality. Someone was saying, there was this thought, there was this saying that you should not have sex, that you should be celibate, even in marriage. And so we have that floating around, that, that Platonistic view. And then what we have with that 
is we have Paul addressing it saying, no, that's actually not right. What men need to do is they need to give their, uh, their wives their sexual rights that they have too and not just see sex as something for procreation. And then so Paul is saying that, and he was addressing that before. Uh, men would run off and they would have their sexual pleasure um, with people that weren't their wives and only have sex with their wives for procreation. And, and Paul goes against that and says, you need to see yourself as not your own. And so he is, he's flipping all this uh, 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 the, the culture on its head and, and shaping this. But then the natural result of this is that women could now go and say logically, well, hey, my, my wife is, or my husband's not doing that. And he's running off and he's having sex with other people and he's doing all this. So since he's doing that, I'm just gonna separate. So thanks, Paul, uh, for telling me what my husband should be doing and what he's doing is wrong. Since you've made that clear to me, now I'm, I'm going to bounce. And there was actually, um, uh, women did not in a patriarchal society have the authority to, uh, to file a divorce, but what they could do is they could enact something in the Roman Empire that was a certificate of separation, a certificate uh, of divorce. And so what you could do is, is there was this legal act where you could, uh, could file for this separation. And the separation was just simply, I either leave or you leave, and functionally that's a divorce, but since I can't I can't formally file a divorce as a woman, then I can just do this. And so it was uh, uh, in stone, uh, uh, a brewer is one scholar who actually talks about that, that this is something that was happening a lot, is that um, is women were uh, bouncing out because they were told now that this is, this is what's going on, what your, wi- uh, what your husbands have been doing is, 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 is morally corrupt, so let's move on. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 and just to, to clear up uh, uh, that he's addressing women on this, is that he puts in, this, in parentheses here, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So in other words, hey, look, you don't just get to leave your husband and then go find someone else. And that was the premise of what divorce was. It was actually in, in, in the Roman Empire, um, it was very, very common that marriages weren't going to make it to the end. And it was actually worded in the document for marriages that they were likely going to end in divorce. So it was expected that you would divorce. Why were people divorcing at such a just uh, um, um, rapid rate in the first century? To marry someone else. They were actually leaving their spouses to go and be with someone else. And so Paul's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. If, if you are going to leave, if you are going to separate, you need to remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. And then he goes on to say now to the husband as well, the husband should not divorce his wife. Again, separate for the woman, divorce for the husband because they have the power to do that. And so Paul's just saying no. And here's the reality, is the majority of the reasons why divorce was taking place is just because of, of sheer convenience. I've fallen out of love with you. You no longer make me happy. I don't wanna be with you, all that sort of stuff. The same stuff that is going on now in the 21st century. This is not new. As, as, as the author in Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old thing. People are getting divorced today because they have fallen out of love. The person they're with doesn't make them happy. And so I wanna say this, is it possible Is it possible that you have fallen away from grace inside of your own marriage as a Christian? Is it possible that you have fallen away from grace in your marriage as a Christian? Is it possible too that you had unrealistic ideas of what marriage was going to be? We'll say idealistic views of marriage. And could it be that you were more married to your idealisms than you actually were to your spouse? 
Let me say that again. Were you possibly more married to your idealisms of how marriage was going to look, that we were going to sit out under the moonlight, that we were going to dance in the stars, that we were going to emotionally engage one another after hard days and cry together and hold one another, that my husband was going to lead me in these very deep devotionals, and that we we're going to have this uh, um, um, magical family time with, with, with all of our children, that, that this is what life is going to look like. And now all of a sudden, your husband uh, doesn't like dancing. You guys don't sit out underneath the stars. There is no sort of this emotional engagement, all of a sudden reality sinks in and you're like, hey, wait, I've dreamed about marriage since I was like five. And, and, and I've created what marriage is supposed to look like. I, I've created an idealistic view of it. And in fact, I've worshiped that, the idea of being married. And now I found that I'm actually was more married to that and more in love with that than I am with my spouse. Same thing was going on then. Same thing goes on right now is that oftentimes we hear this language. You don't make me happy anymore. I've fallen out of love as though love could be tripped into and then tripped back out of. And then so what we find with this is that people uh, like the song from Top Gun, uh, you've lost that love and feeling. I think that's the reality for people is they say, I no longer have the love and feelings. And then even in that, we are blind to see the selfishness that that statement makes. To fall out of love is actually that you were in love with an emotion that you felt more than you were actually in love with your spouse. And so since you don't have the emotion that you felt anymore, then, then, then you actually realize, I wasn't actually loving my spouse. I was just loving an emotion that my spouse provided. And so all this leads us to say is, is what was going on back then is same thing now is, is people don't have realistic views of marriage. It's not to say we discourage people. It's not to say that we say marriage is hard. But what we need to tell people is that at the end of the day, the marriage is going to be difficult. That what we need to die to, uh, to a lot of our uh, um, idealistic views that we bring into marriage. Because listen, please, you bring plenty into your marriage with your sin and with your brokenness without bringing in all of your idealisms into your marriage. Your, your, your idealistic views, the things that you worship, will crush a marriage because what happens is we fall from grace and then we put our idealisms at the center of marriage. And here's what I mean. Whatever we have elevated to the place um, of center and supreme in our lives, we'll start to worship that. And so our spouse should look like this, our family should look like this, and I'm going to treat you differently if you don't. I'm going to withhold something from you if you don't look like this and do this. And since our marriage doesn't look like this, then I'm going to withhold love. As though love was ever painted to be something other than a fierce and devoted commitment to someone. If the emotions are gone, I tell people, good, now you have an actual opportunity to see what true love is. It is difficult, it is fierce, it is a commitment, and it is sacrificial. Instead, we run back to Facebook and we run back to people that were high school sweethearts. We run back to thinking someone else was our soulmate. We run to everything else. We fall from grace because we had something else in the center of our lives and of our hearts. And that was our idealism about what marriage was supposed to be and look like. And then we stop loving and, and serving and supporting and moving toward our spouses because our spouses are failing at meeting everything that we've put at the center of our lives. And Paul's like, uh-uh. No. Let me say this too. I realize my audience at Gospel Community Church, just to be straightforward, I know that we have a lot of people who have gone through divorce. I know that, 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 that we have people that are um, 
can, can, can resonate that they did not just jump out of a divorce to get married to someone else. That they understand that divorce isn't something that was just like a great option. That there's brokenness from divorce. That there's hurt. That there's pain. That their um, children um, um, are also impacted by that. And so I know that to be true for many people in our church. And so please stick with me until the end here and just hear me all the way out because I know for many of you, divorce is a hard thing. And sadly, sadly, we treat people in the church as though they're second class children of God or citizens because they've been divorced. And then we put regulations that I would say even go beyond scripture on, on, on what you're supposed to do or, or um, um, how you're supposed to respond or react. I've even heard a guy around the office or at my office around the corner asking a guy to tell him a little bit about himself. Before he could get a sentence in, he said, uh, weren't you divorced? And I'm like, man, I just wanted to scream. I'm like, that is not his identity. His identity is a child of God. And so I understand that. I understand that, that, uh, that divorce is a painful thing. And so please hang in there with me. But please also understand this. I'm submitted to God's word. I need you to be submitted to God's word too. And so ultimately what Paul is saying in Corinth is you can't just go and get a divorce because you made a vow and a commitment till death do us part, not till happiness does us part. Let's move on. Verse 12 says this. To the rest I say, look, look what he says. I, not the Lord... So when Paul says this, it's not like we get to go, oh, this doesn't matter. We are not red letter Christians only. What I mean by that is that we don't elevate the red letter parts of the Bible above anything else. It is all the inspired authoritative word of God. And so whatever is said in here is said by God's authority empowered by the spirit. And so what Paul appeals to is his apostleship. So, so Paul's an apostle is not, he's saying that, look, Jesus didn't explicitly say this, but what I'm saying through the authority of being an apostle is, is, is this, this is something that you need to know. This is something that you need to hear. And so he says, I, uh, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. This is where it gets really interesting, okay? Because we would say, great, understand that. For if the unbelieving husband is made holy, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Okay, what is going on? Uh, Paul and the word of God does not contradict itself. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You do not get saved because you are married to another believer. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked. Paul wouldn't encourage people to be unequally yoked. In other words, if you are a believer, uh, don't marry a non-believer. Uh, he wouldn't encourage people not to do that if in the end it was just going to save the non-believer. In fact, he would, th th that's illogical. He would say, just go marry whoever you want because as soon as you get married, that will save them. We understand through John 14, 6, salvation comes by another means but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay? So what is going on here? is because of everything else Paul has taught, that, that we are a, a temple, that our bodies are holy, and, and that we should live as holy people since uh, Christ has made us holy, he's made us saints, set apart and holy, is that now what is going on is that people are saying, great, um, I need to leave my spouse because they are not a Christian. And, and the belief was, is that a non-Christian or a Gentile could make someone who was a Christian a child of God, unholy or unclean. And so what was going on inside of the church was uh, there was this thought and there was this belief 
Um, and we can even see this in Judaism to a degree on, on uh, if you can't go to temple and you can't go to synagogue, that's such a major part of life. And so if you can only go by yourself, if you are a Jew and, and, and you were married to someone who's not, then, then are they unholy? And then should you even be with them? Is their presence in your life making you unclean? And, and Paul is saying, no, no, no. The common grace of marriage was given to all humanity. And because of the amount that's the immeasurable holiness that Christ has given to you as a child of God, that trumps any sort of uncleanness that you think that your spouse might be able to make you. In fact, Paul's language here is so much so, it's not even possible. Like your unbelieving spouse cannot make you holy because you have the holiness of Christ that has washed, cleansed, and covered you. It's not even an option. And in fact, Paul goes on to say, here's the power of grace. You have been saved only by grace, and here's the power of grace, don't fall away from it, that through your presence in your spouse's life, they can actually see who Christ is. And they can have it modeled for them. In fact, you can be the best reflection of Christ that your spouse gets to see. And so in the same way grace had the power to save and transform you, you modeling grace for your spouse, in fact, can make them holy by actually becoming a Christian. It's ultimately not on you, though, to say that because I think people feel an automatic weight of, man, I got to do that perfectly or else my husband's not going to see Christ. God is faithful. God knows his elect. He will save his children. And so we ultimately rest in that. But what we also know is that Paul puts a big emphasis here on grace, on how we live and how we act when we're married to a non-believer. But also we have to understand this, the role and the importance of the church. Because of the fact that, that, that now this marriage is deemed by God as holy and you are not unholy by being married to a believer, what you can do is your spouse should get to be a part of the church in the sense of going to gatherings, being around people, seeing the saints love one another. Isn't that what, uh, what, what, what the gospel of John says? John quoting Jesus that um, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Is that there's something powerful about the church and the saints loving one another. I'd encourage us in, in the season we're in right now is that that speaks volumes to the world and to the unbelieving spouse to go, wow, look at the love they have for one another. But then it also is important because instead of bouncing out and then, and, and then leaving your spouse and then, and then by doing that, you're removing from uh, them from getting to see grace modeled in your life, but also the church's life, you're putting them in a more vulnerable position because now they might not have anyone that's modeling to them grace or sharing with them the gospel. And also, Paul would go on to say, your children are impacted by this as well. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as they are, they are holy. So by doing this and by bouncing out, you might also, in divorce, we know that children are separated and they're living with one spouse, the other, by, by staying together, then the whole family, by you and by your holiness in Christ and by being a part of a Christian community can actually see and your children can see who Christ is as is reflected in the body and what he looks like. So he's saying, this is a very powerful thing for, uh, for the non-Christian who's married to the Christian to get to see what a Christian community looks like and for their children to be a part of something like that. This is a very powerful thing for Paul and I think we should not underestimate the importance of church. And so I'm going to say this, and some of you won't like it. If you are not a part of a church family, please let me encourage you to become a part of a church family. I don't believe the intent of the way that we should gather is through a live stream. It, it is a means right now, uh, and it's a way for us to share the gospel. I know it's a blessing for so many people, and so I, I want to recognize that, but at the end of the day, we are called to gather together. We are called to encourage one another, to love one another, but also, and by doing that, we are modeling to non-believers 
and what it looks like to do that. We're also helping our brothers and sisters in Christ who are married to a non-believer to say, hey, this isn't all on you. Let us help you. Let us also all carry this burden with you and let us all model to your spouse and to your children what it looks like to live as a child of God. Then he goes on to say, but, verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to, to peace. And so um, the, the, the other word for separate is abandon. So I want to say this, is that in what cases is divorce permitted in Scripture? Sexual immorality and abandonment. Here, if your spouse abandons you, you, you can let them go. You, you, you as a child of God don't have to be crushed by this. You're not in despair by this. As Ronnie was talking about last night uh, or last week, you're not defined by being divorced. You're not defined by being single. You are defined by being a child of God. Please hear that. So if they separate, they abandon you. That is permission as well. So here's the question. Sexual immorality is clear. What about physical? Um, what about my, my, my spouse physically harms me? I would say this, not me alone. This is not some, um, some, some, something that I've come up with. Dr. Thomas Schreiner, a very conservative New Testament scholar says this, that abuse is abandonment in the covenant of marriage. Because at that point, you are abandoning your covenant by abusing your spouse. And so in that case, I would say, please seek help. Please, please, please seek help. Um, please reach out to the people in your community. And, and the hope is that they will know the next steps to take from there. So I would say that to you. Where Paul says it's not grounds for divorce is just to go on and marry someone else who might make you a little bit more happy than you are right now. And then he goes on to close out and say this. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Uh, this is such an encouraging thing. So, so, so Paul is, this is a very optimistic ending. Paul is also, this is a novel thought, that, that, that the amount of power through grace that women had in this culture to, to, to save their husband. And in the same way, so Paul gives, uh, shows the same power of grace for the husband and for the wife. And he says, how do you know? And, and, and again, it's not that you are saving. God does that. But through your actions and through modeling grace, how do you not know that your spouse will come to know the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? And so if we fall away from grace, here's the reality. We'll know when we're falling away from grace because here's how it'll be evident in our marriages. When we fall away from grace or in all of life, I'll just speak. When we fall away from grace, then we see people's need for grace more than ours. And we see our spouse's need for grace more than ours. When we fall away from grace, what happens in that is we start to earn a salvation that was given to us freely by God and by his grace. When we fall away from grace, then we put something else as supreme in our life. And by doing that, what we do is we treat people inferior because what, what we do is say, you, you, you are not doing this that I am doing, or you are not seeing the importance of this. And so I'm going to treat you differently. And so we fall from grace in these ways. We fall from grace in our marriages when we start to say stuff like, I deserve this. I should be treated like this. I, 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 th 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 this is my right to have this sort of respect. We fall from grace when we make statements like that. And we fall from grace when we offer to give grace because we forget the grace that we have given. And I think even in our culture right now, we can fall from grace by raising something other than Jesus Christ is supreme in our lives. Yet the Christian message is all of grace. 
Because at the center of the Christian message and what we need in our marriages and what we need to battle divorce, what we need to battle anything in our culture right now is to remember that the Christian message is a man, is a man named Jesus Christ, the God man at the center of the Christian message is the good news of the gospel. The God man takes the place on the cross. Jesus is elevated to a place of a criminal's death where Jesus on the cross doesn't say, this is not right, this is unfair, I don't deserve this. But from the cross, he screams, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In, in, in essence, what he was saying is, Father, what they deserve, give me. And what I deserve, your perfect love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, being your child, please give them. There is nothing we have done to earn that. There is nothing we have done to maintain, uh, nothing we can do to maintain that. That is a free gift given by grace through God, through the Spirit. When we fall from grace and don't fall into that grace, remember the grace, keep it center at our lives and, and, and keep Christ as supreme, then we will start to make statements like, I deserve this, this is my right, I should be treated like this, instead of seeing and understanding and recognizing at the center and at the core of Christianity is Jesus Christ laying down everything and saying, here is my life. All I have, I give to you. Righteousness, purity, perfection, by grace, through faith in me. And so I would encourage you to check your heart and see where it's falling from grace because the sign will be uh, bitterness and anger and frustration, a lack of tenderness and compassion and mercy for others. It'll be seeing the, uh, the, 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 the sin of others without recognizing your need for grace. If you see your spouse's need for grace more than yours, I would plead with you to see you have fallen from grace. If you're right now working to earn the love of God, you have fallen from grace. If you are seeing your children's need for grace, please listen, more than your own need for grace, you have fallen from seeing your desperate need for grace. What we need to do is fall back into grace and our need for grace. I don't like the word fall because it, it, it takes to the fall in love or fall out of love, but it's purposeful in this, is that we are fallen from the fall. In other words, sin has impacted and affected us. But the reason why I said this is it's falling from grace is sneaky and it'll sneak up on us. We'll do it and then we'll slowly do it and then bitterness and anger and frustration creeps into our life. And so what I'm saying is that we need to fall into grace. We need community to help us. And the reason I'm also saying fall into grace is because I'm gonna recognize as I close out right now, that there are people that are married that are listening to non-Christians. And there are even the non-Christians that are listening right now, sitting next to their spouse that are maybe even uncomfortable by that. Is, is, here's what I would say, is that you are not saved by the amount of grace you model to your spouse. You are saved by the amount of grace that God has given to you in Jesus. You are not saved, and your spouse will not ultimately be saved by the perfection in which you perform. Your spouse, just like you, will ultimately be saved by the perfection of Christ in his performance. And so what I would encourage you to do is if you are exhausted and wrung out from grace and giving grace and modeling grace, is please, whether you're married or not, fall into the arms of grace. Fall into the arms of the Father right now who meets you to say, to, to say there's nothing you have done or could do to stop me from loving you. If you're hurting and you are grieving, if you're mourning, if you're a minority, if you are someone suffering, then please fall into the arms of grace and meet your heavenly father who loves you, who cares for you, and who holds you deeply. Let me share this story as I close. I've shared this before. I love it. It's a picture of the gospel. 
Man, said a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler to a Native American convert, man, what is the reason you make so much of Christ and talk so much about him? What, what has Christ done for you that you should make so much ado about him? The converted Native American did not answer him in words. He gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put it in the middle of the ring. He struck a, uh, he struck a light and set the moss and the leaves on fire. The flames soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony, and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if it was about to die in despair. At that moment, the Native American reached out his hand, took up the worm, and gently placed it in his bosom. Stranger, he said to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopelessness and helplessness, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put forth the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me from the everlasting burnings. It was Jesus Christ who placed me, a poor and sinful worm, worm near the heart of his love. Stranger, the reason I talk so much about Jesus and make so much of him is because I'm not ashamed of him, but because I love him. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that it's easy for our hearts to fall from grace. We recognize it's easy for us to be uh, um, people that don't offer the grace that we've been given. We recognize that it's, that it's easy for us to see others' need for grace more than our own. We recognize that we need to fall into your grace, into your arms, into your mercy. That, Father, we need to align our hearts and our marriages with your grace now. Would you please point us to Jesus? Would you please reign supreme in our hearts and lives? Would you, would you take the things that we are putting as supreme other than Jesus and where we've adopted something other than grace into our lives and put that as sinner? Destroy it, Father. As painful as that would be for me and for all of us, I pray that honestly, that you would tear that down so that Christ can reign supreme in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.